Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. And today we are on part two of our bias mini-series. And today we're going to discuss loss aversion. So before we start, I want to provide our audience with a definition of loss aversion so you can get sped up onto what we're speaking about. So this comes from Visual Capitalist, one of a website that we like to look at every so often. And they define loss aversion as the tendency to dislike losing a lot more than they enjoy winning. When losses loom larger than gains of identical magnitude, traders feel more discomfort from the potential loss, two and a half times stronger. This then leads a lot of traders towards inaction rather than action. So overall, to kind of simplify that, people usually are risk adverse, so they don't like so if they're looking for gains, they're less likely to want to in, participate within a risk to gain a little bit more. But when they have losses, they're risk seeking. So they're willing to take on more risk to not lose as, to lose more. It's a quite fascinating thing that Amos Traversky and Danny Kahneman um, kind of coined and came up with back in 1979. Um, it was part of one of their prospect theory, which is a theory and loss aversion is tied into that. I know we talk about Danny, Danny Kahneman as well as Amos Traversky quite a bit. They're fantastic people to read about when you're talking about behavioral economics or just behavioral biases. Um, but to really kind of continue this conversation, I want to actually ask Nathaniel a question uh, to kind of give you guys a good idea of loss aversion. So Nathaniel, here it goes. Would you rather choose to receive a guaranteed payment of $900 or take a 90% chance of winning 1000 so a 10% chance of winning nothing. What would you decide to do in that situation? Take the 900. So you'd guarantee the 900. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a similar question, but slightly different. Would you rather lose, guaranteed lot, lose $900, or take a 90% chance of losing $1,000 and a 10% chance of losing nothing? What would you rather do in that situation? Lose the 900. So he's guaranteeing the loss of 900 and guaranteeing the gain of 900. Technically speaking, Nathaniel is correct on the loss side. Uh, but on the gain side, he might be a little off because the expected return for both the 90% and 10% is $900 and guaranteeing $900. So from a probability standpoint, you could actually take on the risk of gaining an extra $100 because your expected return is most likely $900, which is equivalent to guaranteeing the $900. Fascinating thought there. But on the loss side, he is correct. Guaranteeing the, ne the negative $900 is probably a better move because again, from a probability standpoint, if you're looking at the 90%, 10%, so losing 1,000 or losing nothing, that expected return is also $900. So to guarantee the $900 probably makes a little bit more sense. But most people, it was what they found are actually more willing to take on the 90-10 gamble than guaranteeing a loss of 900 because people experience losses two and a half times more than they would actually experience gains. So that's just kind of a good example of how loss aversion works and what we're looking at. And that's definitely implied um, within our own industry in a lot of different ways. But as Nathaniel is gonna speak about here in just a second, 
he he experiences this in a different way when we're looking at investment management. So Nathaniel, if you want to jump in and talk a little bit about how you see things from with loss aversion in your job, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Gosh, a, a big one I, I have is when I'm, I'm analyzing a company for a future investment, uh, I do, I typically do a number of scenarios and that's where when somebody ever asks me, well, what price are you going to sell at? There is no one price. There's, there's a price range. And that's because there's a range of possibilities um, in different scenarios. I then assign probabilities to each scenario. And if at any point in time, there is a scenario that suggests an investment will go to zero, 1%, 5%, 10%, it doesn't matter. I, I won't make the investment because that any investment that has a chance of going to zero is not a risk worth taking, period. So that's why I automatically, when, when Tim's example, the second uh, piece of the example, I immediately went for the loss in the 900 because it was, it was a fixed loss. And I, I knew that the odds were, were not in my favor. I'd rather take that guaranteed loss versus the chance of, a 90% chance of losing a thousand or 10% of not losing anything because the odds were stacked in my favor. And you were correct. I, I will have to correct myself. You were correct on the, um, the gain as well. It is the right move to actually guarantee the gain because your expected return is only $900. So both questions, you were correct. Yay. What do I get? A Tootsie roll. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> No, <laughs> I love Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, another example of this for me is, oh, it's so hard. Wh whenever I, so I make an investment, right? And it halves. Price I bought in it, it falls at 50%. Falls 50%. I've redone the analysis and I, I was wrong about the fundamentals of the company. I have to revise my thesis and it was not a wise investment to begin with. So I have two choices. One, it's uh, an, an unwise investment where it still might make sense to purchase at the new price because the, the price is now below my revised valuation of it. Or two, I should sell. And, and that's really a tough choice. The second choice of, of whether to sell or not, that's, that's hard, even in my line of work, because I mean, I do this for a living. This is what I do 24 seven. It's so hard because well, one, I have to admit I'm wrong, which really sucks. And then two, I have to, I have to pull the trigger and, and either keep the cash or, or invest it somewhere else. And I have to have opportunities in order to do that. Generally speaking, there's always an opportunity better than a, a mistake. So I, I have to get past that bias of mine and I have to, I have to pull the trigger. And, and in, in my investment career, I have had to do that sometimes where I've sold at a loss because I know that the odds of me being able to not only break even, but, to continue to meet my required rate of return on an annualized basis in that particular, in that unwise investment, the odds of that happening are typically pretty low. 
So that's why it typically doesn't make sense to hold on to a lose a, a lost investment because that that capital can be deployed better, most likely can be deployed better elsewhere. And, and that bias can be extremely debilitating and, and cause you to make mistakes by holding on to positions that that you have significant losses and, and then not taking advantage of opportunities as they arise because you're so hell bent on getting back to breaking even. And then beyond that, trying to make your required rate of return. It's very hard to do that. And it's the, the right thing is typically to sell those investments and uh, get back on track with uh, finding other better investments. Well, Tim mentions Amos Traversky and Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman uh, would, uh, you know, he, he stated that his studies found that how powerful this loss aversion really is, that it's 2.5 times as powerful as people's feeling towards gains uh, is pretty incredible. And, you know, we do see this in other concepts that are related to items that we cover. Like, for example, um, we could see loss aversion play into the role with somebody uh, trying to downsize the house. It sounds like a great plan. We don't see a lot of people actually downsize their homes compared to those who say they will. It's very difficult to take that step back and give up what you have. Or another example would be finding such a concept living inside of scarcity. So uh, for example, um, an advertisement comes across and says, you need to ask you know, act fast to complete this purchase because only so many are in stock at this low price. So uh, that obviously influences you to to buy something simply because you don't want to have to lose out on that on that uh, situation. I think what with with all these biases that we talk about, I think that um, it, they're difficult because they live within us, and we all will partake to some fashion. Um, it might. Uh, you know, I think it's important to talk about how you try to overcome such uh, such such of these biases, and it's very difficult to do. I think what's important to kind of to, to do is to kind of step aside and ask yourself to get out of your own head to see how much you're really being impacted. You are probably impacted to some degree, and perhaps do some analysis, consider probabilities um, when you make these judgment calls. Um, overall, though, I think that with this particular bias that uh, that you really need to try to think not about individual successes or failures um, of each of each individual uh, you know project for example but instead think about the overall net impact to try to get away from being caught up in, in a loss aversion bias I, you know and to, to continue off of Dan's comments about that I, I think we see a lot of the singular effect that Dan's mentioning combined to the holistic effect of multiple decisions when it comes to stock options. You know, that's probably one of the hardest questions that we receive is when should I sell my stock options? And it's, it's quite amazing to watch people in real time probably have a little bit of loss aversion going on because they may get a little bit more gain, but they are, when it goes down, they're willing to hold on to that thing till it at least gets back up to where they were because they don't want to lose it. And the hard part is when you're looking at stock options, sometimes you're restricted within a time frame. So executives, 
will only have a week, maybe two weeks to potentially sell it. And when they're not in a blackout period and to, to try to predict where the price of that stock's going to be within a week to two week period, good luck. I mean, you know, COVID-19 could happen within that week or two. And all of a sudden you're a depression of, you know, 20% of that stock price. And now all of a sudden I don't want to sell anymore. So to kind of avoid some of that, I think you have to look at it in a couple of different angles is what is the goal of the stock options? What am I trying to achieve? Am I trying to achieve diversification? Am I trying to achieve buying for a goal? Am I trying to achieve the comfort of just not being um, so heavily invested within this company? I mean, there's a lot more to it than just gains and losses when it comes to from a planning perspective. And I think too, when Nathaniel's discussing his difficulties when he's um, you know, potentially selling a loss that he's experienced within a position, there's sunk cost bias. He's put in a lot of work to analyze and understand this position. And so you have loss aversion, you have sunk cost bias. They're not necessarily always going to be correlated with one another, but they can, they can interact with one another together at the same time. You have a lot of different factors that are beating up against you to make sure that you make that decision to get out. So Nathaniel will talk a lot about processes and procedures and checklists. And it's not because Nathaniel is a structured A, B, C, D, E, F, G guy. It's because if you don't produce that time and time again, then you can get lost within the, the gray that is these biases. So it helps with filtering out how you feel at the time. You can always go back to the structure of saying, okay, this is where I'm at. And then to kind of convert that to a planning perspective, that's what goals and objectives are for. Now, those goals and objectives can be moving goalposts. But it helps you go back to say, I'm feeling X, but how does that align with all my goals? And it kind of will, it will center you a little bit. Um, so that's another way that you can kind of fight yourself with uh, these emotions because we all deal with it. Nathaniel, Dan, and I deal with it. I deal with it in a very real respect, but that's another way to kind of help alleviate some of that bias pain. <laughs> Danny, would you like to leave us with the start of some final thoughts today? Yeah, sure. It's pretty simple. Be rational. I know it blew everybody's mind, right? But really, it boils down to simplicity. Be rational. I, I have to force myself sometimes to be rational. Of course, I have emotions just like everybody else. And the reason why I say this on, on podcasts a lot is because sometimes people get this idea that Dan and Tim perpetuate, which is not, and not a cyborg, people. All right. Inside my brain, I'm not a cyborg. I am a human being just like everybody else. Just want to make that clear. I do have emotions. And sometimes I have to force myself to block those emotions when investing. It's my job. I, because I have to get past those biases. Be rational in my, frame, in, my, in my thinking processes. And then fall back upon the investment filters and structures that we utilize to invest. Dan, what you got? I think at the end of the day, we typically as a people value what we have more than what we want. Well, that's, that's actually a really good thought there. My final, my final thoughts are going back to, as, as we're joking about Nathaniel being a cyborg and structured, but structure does help. It just does. It's a way to help guide you and center you back to getting away from your emotional and, and irrational self. 
But I think on top of that, like anything else, when there's a problem, you have to be aware that there's even a problem, right? You have to, you have to recognize and admit to yourself there's a problem. And with every human that's walking this earth, it's a problem. So first off, we have to recognize it. Then that allows us to be aware of it. Once we're aware of it, then we can start putting in different processes and thought processes to alleviate it or help get through it. Um, so I think the first step is just recognizing and educating people that we're just not built to think right, just aren't on a lot of different ways. And it's been proven. Um, and it happens a lot because it, it's, it's part of who we are. And then the other, the last part is probabilities. You know, I, I think I growing up, going through school statistics wasn't my favorite thing because it was kind of gray, but probabilities are a really big thing. We do live in the gray. There is no black and white from planning perspective or investment management. And as Nathaniel was mentioning is if you can have probabilities to assign to certain outcomes, that is a beneficial thing, but you have to also be comfortable betting on probabilities. And I will say it again, and I probably reference this book, but thinking in bets, making smart decisions when you don't have all the facts by Annie Dukes is a fantastic book and everyone should read it because it will help you understand that when you're asked the question, the 90-10 question, how you should approach that and what you should be betting on because that's life all the time. There is no guarantee. So thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate you listening to stuff three guys like to talk about. Find you back next time. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.